Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 171. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by Jonathan Amanda Texera of WalletWin. Jonathan and Amanda share some of their story and the origins of WalletWin. They also talk to us about the importance of discernment when it comes to finances and how we can prepare our children to be good stewards. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Okay, Stephen, what's a good word? Okay, you've you've been prepping me for this a little bit. So I've been listening to some prior uh, material from prior guests on the podcast. So today I think it's discipline. Discipline is my good word. All right, we'll see how that comes to us. How it fits in today. Topic. Yeah, see how that winds its way through the conversation. We are happy to welcome Jonathan and Amanda Texera to the Colby cast. They are the founders of WalletWin and the hosts of the Catholic Money Show, a podcast that I've been listening to quite a number of episodes here lately. Welcome, Jonathan and Amanda. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Yeah, it's an honor and a blast to be here. As I've been thinking about preparing for this episode, I've been thinking about how our state's graduation requirements for high schoolers include a financial literacy component, which is something I've had sort of on my radar screen for a while. And and we've been working toward that end just as a family here and there with various ways throughout their lives. But I, I really appreciate your approach to this, not just financial literacy, but a whole um, approach to money and the, and the role it plays in our lives as Catholics and how we can help our students as they are entering the next phase of their lives as adults to be good stewards. And, and um, I don't want to say too much because I want to leave it to you guys to explain that where you're coming from with this. I would love it if you would tell us a bit about yourselves and your backgrounds and perhaps the origin story of, of your apostolate, your offerings that you now have for us. Sure. Yeah, I can get us kicked off. Um, so I, I, I too have noticed, you know, this uptick, if you will, in the popularity of having financial literacy and, you know, we love it and we'll share a little bit of our, our own story here. It's something we certainly could have needed. Um, but in Wallowin, you know, our idea here is not just to, um, you know, the government is interested in making sure the next generation is not complete buffoons with their money so they can actually, <laughs> you know, do a couple of things and uh, contribute to the economy. Of course, there's the practicals that we teach people too, but, you know, we know that money touches everything. And if we can help the next generation of Catholics make this not only a source of peace in their life that they can function with, but they can also know how to be saints and how to apply virtue with their money. Well, we, you know, maybe the Lord will call the next St. Catherine Drexel in the making to to do um, whatever this generation needs and the money behind that can actually fuel that change. So we are helping young people get this right in their life so that they can, of course, have peace, but also so they can say yes to God's call in their life and actually make change in our world and further the new evangelization. So that's kind of our our hope and our mission um, in going beyond just purely financial literacy. But like I said, we really did need that ourselves because we were um, not raised being taught anything about personal finances other than being able to kind of observe our parents' 
um, managing their checkbooks every now and again. And now you that is a completely obsolete activity nowadays. <laughs> so it really didn't do a whole lot for us growing up. We both got student loans. Um, we didn't know really what to do with money when we when we both joined staff with Focus Fellowship of Catholic University students and we were fundraising our income, but it was the first time we ever really had an income, but again, didn't know what to do with it um, now that we actually had it. And so by the time we got married um, in 2011, we came home from the honeymoon, which we did have a, a fight on. A money fight two days into our marriage. Yes, because we had put the honeymoon on a credit card to get points because people said that was smart. But then we forgot about it and the bill came due while we were on the honeymoon. So that was all stressful. Ugh. All the things we did because people said they were smart. Um, <laughs> oftentimes <laughs> we're not very. And we we tallied it up and we had about $25,000 in, in debt between credit cards and student loans. Um, and we just realized, you know, we've been at that point in our lives, we'd been walking, walking with Christ, you know, trying to to do our best to to live, you know, in a state of grace and to be growing in holiness. But we didn't know how to bring him into our money. And it just we didn't know if we could. But we were on a mission to do that. And it seemed like our wallets and our bank accounts looked just like the world around us. It didn't look any different. And if Jesus is at the center of our life, this should look different. We should not be having these types of frustrations and arguments and divisiveness. This should be a source of unity. So that's when we began our own journey of learning about personal finances. Um, of course, early influencers were really the only people out there talking about it were from Protestant perspectives like Dave Ramsey and a couple other Christian authors, um, podcast hosts, etc. Um, but then as time went on, we began to find out that the church had a whole lot to say, a whole lot to offer, and it hadn't really been unpacked in modern times. And so that began to influence us. And so not only did we get out of we got out of debt that first year, but then we applied those that same discipline, if that's going to be kind of a word we talk about in this episode, that discipline into yeah. saving and giving and investing. And um, we started to watch that desire to handle money virtuously kind of trickle into every every interaction we had with money. And um, that was a really fun journey to go on. And as time went on, you haven't said anything here. I'm sorry, I have That's, stole the show. You're doing a um, great job. <laughs> people began to ask, you know, what did you do? Because when we were fundraising our income back in the day, you know, people just thought if you're a missionary, you have to be a poor missionary. <laughs> and that there isn't any other type. You can't work for the church and actually thrive. You know, that was kind of the idea. And people began to ask, you know, what are you doing? And so we just began to coach people at our kitchen table. Then we were speaking at Theology on Taps, being guests on podcast episodes, etc. And it kind of just snowballed until we, we kind of had a little bit of a call within a call, if you will, like Mother Teresa. Um, we were happy being missionaries, we were on staff for almost nine years, and then we just heard the Lord saying, "Set my church financially free." And so that's when we discerned, okay, we're gonna we're gonna retire here, and we're gonna go on this new mission. And so that's um, when we began to plant the the foundation for WalletWin, and we kicked things off officially in 2017. Bingo! And I'd say we do. Uh, 
a whole lot more than just the practicals of how do you handle your money well? How do you make a budget and save and get out of debt and all these other things? Certainly we talk about that, but the mo- the thing that we probably enjoy the most and what we get the most feedback about is something I don't think has been talked about very much, at least uh, in our day and age and in our current society, is just that really fundamental Catholic perspective on money, on possessions, on goods, on labor, all of that. When we actually get into the the nitty gritty there, when we're diving into encyclicals and the catechism and what saints have written and how they've lived, that's where we really get to see how we should interact with our money. Sure, there's the practicals and the what to do, but the whys and the hows and the inner disposition is so important for us when we handle our money. As I've been perusing your various offerings and listening to several episodes of your podcast, and I noticed I attended a few of the sessions of the the Catholic Money Summit that you had um, earlier this summer. And so just the whole comprehensive approach, it just got kind of my wheels turning, just thinking about the attitude I have toward money uh, and the area around that, that that's related to that regarding how, how I can grow in virtue about that or what I might need to kind of sort through to get more in that head more in that direction and i can definitely see thinking about my eldest child heading to college pretty soon and and helping him kind of get set up in some very practical ways that he needs to be able to function in that in that capacity and beyond bringing in the uh the catholic dimension of it that i would hope that he may have picked up from years in our home but now that he is in a more of a decision maker role that it is kind of front of mind so could we talk a bit about that. Let's head in that direction, um, not just financial literacy, but sort of the overall concepts of stewardship. And you use this term financial discipleship. Could you could you explain what you mean by that term financial discipleship and some aspects of that, how it relates to stewardship and things like that? You know, when we think about discipleship, um, you know, we're looking at uh, the life of uh, certainly uh, the 12 apostles, right? Jesus comes and he, he tells, come follow me. And, you know, you're, you are the a disciple if, right, you're so close, what is it that you're, you're covered, in, covered the dust in the dust of your, of your rabbi, of your teacher, because you're following them so closely. You know, come follow me that your life may begin to look like mine. And so if we're, if we're adopting that uh, approach to living our lives, to living out our faith and having it really mean something in the way we conduct ourselves, well, yes, that's going to change the way um, I parent my kids that's going to change the the way that i see my responsibility to be their primary educator the way i interact with and treat my spouse uh that i you know the way i relate with my neighbors it also needs to change the way that i interact with money the way i use my money the money that's under my care should be the way that jesus would use it and that every single financial transaction is giving him glory, right? We're, we're called to, to pray unceasingly. It doesn't mean we're up at the chapel on our knees 24 hours a day for most of us. Um, but our the way we live our lives should give God glory and should be a living out of our vocation. And the same thing with our money. When I take my daughters out for ice cream, granted it's not, you know, we've budgeted the money for it and all that. That is a beautiful and uh, worthy use of our money because I'm leaning into my vocation, spending time with my children 
and just loving on them. And so that is a way to to give God glory uh, through my finances. Certainly giving is very important, but every way that we use it. And so our, like Amanda was saying earlier, the way we use our money, the way we interact with our finances, it really should look different because our lives are different. We're, we are, we are different, right? We're, we're called to live like nobody else, not just to, that's not to live like nobody else later, but because we are like nobody else, we are called by the son of God to follow him. And our life is different. We've been bought with a price and that should affect everything about us. As Christians, I think there is a, at least as I reflect back, there's kind of a dilemma um, because as you were saying, like living as missionaries, you think you have, you have to live as poor missionaries. And so, I mean, I've never been, a, you know, part of vast wealth, so I don't know what it's like for those saints who were kings and or queens and, and could kind of distribute as, as things. But it's almost like a built-in pseudo guilt that maybe I should be living like St. Francis, but you know, I really like, as you're saying, taking the kids out for ice cream or doing something fun or getting, you know, that nice thing for the kitchen that's, but there's always some sort of like, I don't know, there's, there's an interior conflict almost that I, that I, I think that I feel as, as a Christian, like maybe I'm, I'm wasting money just on frivolities mm. and it should, I should be super disciplined, but it doesn't seem like fun. And so I don't want to do it. And is that something that you, you experienced that a little bit of that, that conflict? Sure. I mean, I think that might just be part of concupiscence. Like we're always going to be in this conflicted relationship with, with this world <laughs> and having yes. to constantly yeah. kind of recheck our hearts, rediscern, like, have I laid down too many roots here? Um, you know, into this morning coffee, am I too clinging to this? It's everything, you know, it can show up in, um, and so certainly, you know, it can, it can spill over into our money. So we have a financial examination of conscience that we actually give people that they can use, not for the sake of scrupulosity, but, um, just to kind of check in and kind of ask some of those, some of those questions. Cause most of us don't ask them at all. And we're just sleeping at the wheel. I, that was me for so long, but there, there's also another concept we talk about called maximum fruitfulness. So arranging our kind of like discerning what it is that God's calling us to, and then figuring out the finances that are going to allow us to give the deepest yes there. And what has helped us so much in this and freed us so much is actually looking at the lives of the saints and that the different vocations that God might call us to. They are so wildly different from one another. I mean, even back in scripture, you had John the Baptist covered in animal hair, eating locusts in the desert, screaming out, make straight the paths. And Jesus is throwing dinner parties, like really nice ones. <laughs> but what what's the purpose? They were completely different. They were on different missions. And so in our lives as, you know, the church militant, we're going to have different ways that God asks us to interact with money. Some are going to be the kings and the queens or, you know, have massive amounts of, of wealth entrusted to them, the, the Catherine Drexels of the world. Um, but others are going to be the St. Francis who are called to leave it and actually go live a life of poverty. But I think most of us are going to be called somewhere right in between. I think of St. Zelie and Louis Martin. And, you know, they ran a business together and then she died of breast cancer and Louis was left with the five girls at home. And he essentially, you know, when Therese was just a little child, like 
he didn't work anymore after that point because they had um, gotten their money to a point where he never had to work again. And I thought, I think that that's a beautiful gift. And you look at her writings and basically her whole childhood is just watching and studying her dad love Jesus and like love things eternal. And if money had been something that they were just scraping by on and they hadn't figured out, we would have missed that. We might have missed one of the greatest saints of, of modern times. And so I think that the, you know, the devil's always going to be there too, kind of chirping in, wanting us to doubt. And um, maybe I think also our culture gets in there too. Just this idea of like, the only things I should do with money is boring stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, all the boring stuff over here, one penny for fun. And like, that's just, that's the, that's the enemy. And, you know, in Christ, we can go to our budgets and of course we can prioritize giving, but then there should be there should be fun and our budget should reflect our family culture and our family values and whatever it is that is our unique vocation and those entrusted to our care and it should be designed for again that maximum fruitfulness and so that that's going to just look really different from family to family or even season to season there might be some seasons in one family where they need to prioritize cleaning help because Somebody has a cancer diagnosis and they have a lot of young kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in another season, that just that might not be a good use of their money. Maybe it would be imprudent or it would um, they're just trying to, you know, get rid of some suffering um, by not wanting to have to clean or whatever. It, again, it, as Catholics, discernment, it's so tricky and it's so much easier sometimes to say we're just going to, you know, slap one rule and apply it to everybody. But as Catholics, that's just unfortunately not how most of the most things work and a lot of our financial decisions if you will will kind of fall into that there's certainly black and white things but there are things that are going to be gray and affected by our vocation and our the season that god has us in definitely see how how the virtues come into play here and 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 how we have this this is like a prime area to grow in them yeah and thinking about the the Fun things that you've been mentioning, those are relationship builders in many instances. Um, Do you have, I've been talking about my teenagers and working with them on how to handle money. Could we back up a little bit to younger years and how you, and how you kind of approach this with, for families with young children or even uh, working with young children about, about money? You know, I guess no matter what age uh, your kids are, one of the things on the kind of the principles here is to be, uh, intentional with the way you handle your money and intentional in telling them about it too, right? You know, we could be, you know, going to mass and having a holy hour and reading the Bible, you know, in in its entirety every year. But if we're not telling our kids about that, if we're not letting them know that we're we're actually doing these things. uh, And then why we're doing it. And why we're doing it and inviting them into it, well, they're going to miss out on a ton of it. And so making... Yeah, making that time, that intentional effort to certainly live it out yourself, but also tell your kids about it, to teach them about it, to, you know, whether it's a state requirement where you are or not, uh, to make this something that you teach your kids about. Yeah, and I would add that, um, so this is last summer, we actually debuted our first ever kids class. So we we teach different um levels so we've got our grade schoolers and then middle schoolers and high schoolers and we broke it up that way just because 
there are different kind of financial milestones, I guess, that um, certainly for the high schoolers that they need to be working towards that are that the grade schoolers just don't even need to have on their radar yet, like vehicles or college. Um, but then just different teaching examples as well. And one of the things that we yeah stress the most there is that as parents, we have to be the the ones modeling this first and foremost, and not, you know, what is it? Um, do as I say, not as I do. We don't want to be that. We want to actually be modeling this concept of good stewardship, of taking everything the Lord's given us, being grateful for it, and um, discerning how we can best utilize these resources and give them back to God with increase. And we can teach our kids that by helping them grow in some of those practicals, you know, making sure that they know kind of those four big things we could do with money. We could we could give it, we could save it, we could spend it. That's where some of the fun has, and that's where our culture, our culture will teach them spending all day long. Um, or we can go ahead and invest it. And what are the differences between those things? How do we discern how much needs to go in each category, et cetera? Um, that's really what we do in our kids' classes and what um, adults can start introducing their kids to. And we didn't touch on this when we were talking about the teens just a minute ago, but one of my favorite things to recommend to parents for teenagers and recommend to teenagers to maybe talk to their parents about um, is this idea of kind of a gradual, um, we don't really have a name for it, but a gradual kind of transfer of of finances so that when your kids graduate and they are off to college, that they know how to budget, they know how to prioritize, um, and that they know how to to look at, you know, what's in their money and figure out what they need to do. And the best method we have found for doing this is as parents, um, start calculating up all the things that you spend on your teens in any given month and just look at that. And any one of those expenses that you can pass off, transfer into their bank account and tell them they're in charge of paying for, the better. So whether is it the volleyball dues? Is it the, the basketball uniform? Is it um, the, the money to go out with friends? Um, the stuff that you were going to buy anyway, maybe like you have a little bit of money you budget for going out to eat, but you're, you're going to start to teach them that, okay, you're going to pass that on to them and they need to manage it because what's going to happen there is you're, you're going to help them every single month. They're going to get several tries at this, take the, the money that you've given them, like a couple hundred dollars that you were going to spend on all these things. And you tell them that you need to be in charge of you know, X, Y, and Z, you might help them make a list, et cetera, and then they need to budget that out. Well, you'll have some kids who just see that and they just, they're off to the races. They budget well, they spend well, they, they're old souls, <laughs> they have a little more wisdom, <laughs> maybe a little more virtue built up. But then it, it's really for the other kids, the most, most of the kids who are going to get in there and they're going to have FOMO and they're going to overspend at at the store, <laughs> uh, buy a book or two that maybe they hadn't accounted for, and then rut row, they don't have money to buy the soccer cleats. And, <laughs> and it's much easier to have them come to you as a parent and then have that conversation of what happened, what led to this, over a $30 mess up, if you will, than when they come home years later in the future and they have a, a $15,000 situation like this. You can help them kind of figure this skill out earlier when the stakes are really low 
Um, and you're almost anticipating that something like this will happen. But it's there for that for a lesson. Um, but that's that's kind of our favorite way to teach parents of teens how to kind of give them that on-ramp um, to managing their own money. But then for the younger kids, um, it's mostly just helping them kind of figure out a way to organize the dollars that they are receiving. We teach um, two strategies. We're not an either or, we're a both and, kind of just like like ca good Catholics are. Um, we teach parents to utilize both um, commissions, if you will, so earned income for various chores that are kind of beyond the just what you need to do as part of a, a charitable member of this household. And then we also teach um, a little bit of allowance. So money that they didn't earn, but that they're expected to steward well nonetheless. And so from even the littlest of kids, usually we start people um, doing this around the age of four or five when they can kind of begin grasping concepts like that. Really more in like the pre-K, four, kindergarten, they start, you know, understanding a little bit more coins, money, values, but then helping them figure out what their plan's going to be on giving and saving and spending and investing and really helping them get into that habit of every single time they're paid or they earn money, help them sit down and know that the next step we do is we just make a if with how this is going to go. That's probably the, the number one skill that you can lay down as a parent is just getting your kids into that mindset of being grateful for what they receive and then making a plan for it right after they receive it. If you can do that, you're ahead, you're light years ahead, you know, most of us where we were as kids. It seems like good timing too with the young kids learning the values of money. This, that would be a, a great time to be conversing about the, having those other conversations along with it. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm still processing here. I'm trying, I'm thinking about all of the things that we've done in our, our family and thinking, Ooh, does that fit with, uh, I, I was, yeah, just because, you know, I, especially at young ages, as my dogs come in here, mm -hmm. I, I think that, uh, there's been a focus in our family of, of, I don't want for children to feel the need, you know, that like there's, there's stress involved with money. I want them to know there's an abundance. We always have enough. That they don't need to be concerned about those sorts of things. And I, that doesn't conflict with what you just said, though. There's there's the other side of being knowing what to do and, and knowing that that's okay and not just being completely um, blind as to how much does a loaf of bread cost? <laughs> as a matter of fact, even even those are things that you know. As, as my children get older, that that scope because I haven't focused much on that is something that it takes them a little while to figure out what is, you know, does a house cost two hundred dollars or you know is a loaf of bread twenty dollars? Is it's just all um, a little vague because I haven't really been, they're not quite that bad, but it's, it's a, there is that <laughs> uncertainty in some of, because of a lack of teaching and instruction in those areas, I think. Gosh, with inflation, I don't know if any of us know the cost of anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it got dicey there for a minute. <laughs> That is true. Yeah, we met, most of my children spend about 16 years in California, which doesn't help for you to understand the proper value of things <laughs> either. So, Just to speak into that point of like, you know, always wanting our kids to know there's enough. Um, 
you know, a phrase that I like to use with our kids is that we always have enough money for the things God calls us to. Um, that's kind of always my, my, my phrase. And that like, um, we could choose to buy that, but we are, we've, we feel called to buy the, you know, do something else. So we kind of approach that conversation from like, yeah, we could all go to Disney world for the next three weeks and spend our life savings. But I, you know, we feel God calling us to do like, we explain it. And so this idea of like, we have the money, we're just choosing to prioritize other things. I think that helps kids as well to know like, okay, we're, we're safe. We actually have enough, but our family is prioritizing X, Y, or Z goal. And I think that that's really helpful for kids too, to know that if your family is working towards a goal, like saving up for another vehicle or you're starting to begin the college years and you're trying to, you know, get as much as you can set aside for that. Um, so that when you do have the moments where you say no, you get to explain it with that deeper yes that's kind of guarding it, if you will. And then they know that it, it, it teaches them a couple different things. Mm -hmm. But then, I mean, sometimes they're really just isn't enough. We know this because we've, we've dove into some of the saints' stories. So, for example, like St. Bernadette, she grew up in extreme poverty. Um, but, and some people today, like that might be the case still. Um, but God gets, he's still provided for them in all sorts of ways. And so a family that might really be in a hard time or in a super pinch they have an opportunity to model radical trust and radical faith for their kids and even invite them into that. And I don't see that as a completely detrimental thing either because I know that God will provide some way. Mm -hmm. um, but then they can, their kids now get to watch that those miracles happen and learn to expect that God will provide even if, you know, we financially were in a tight spot and didn't have the means, but somehow we were able to do it anyway because mm -hmm. God came in. Yeah. And then just one more thing with the, you know, saying, oh, well, that's not our priority right now. However you want to phrase it instead of saying, well, we don't have the money for that. It helps them understand. And maybe depending on, you know, someone's personal history with money, maybe it helps us too understand more that the decision to get something or to buy something or not isn't, well, do I have enough money to buy that? It's where does this fall in my priorities right now? And that's going to help certainly for our kids set them up for a, a better future because it's not just going to be, oh, well, I have more than that number in my bank account. Uh, they can actually sit down. They know to consider not just how does it reflect with the money I have, but where does it fall in my priorities? I love that. That just immediately cl clicked with all of the um, listening to God's will in your vocation, right? Because money isn't the only resource we have. You could be misspending your time, even if you're doing good things, right? I mean, but you could not be doing what God's calling you to do. So I love that, that you're specifically looking at, okay, God has given you this money, th these resources, and how is he calling you to, to be stewards of that particular gift, you know, to what, what is it? I mean, so yes, even giving it all to the church might be a good in and of itself, but he may need you to take that money and go buy groceries so that you can eat for the week, which is the better good in this case. You know, I, mm -hmm. I like that it's putting in my mind, it just, that just suddenly clicked when you said that it's, it's putting that all together mm -hmm. as stewardship, right? To be being 
Yep. Using it as God wants you to use it, not necessarily how you would want to use it. <laughs> yes. So you've mentioned several saints along the way. Are there any others that you have on speed dial, so to speak, for intercession regarding financial stress, financial decisions, this whole area of financial discipleship, any other saints you want to bring up at this point? Oh, there's tons. Um, <laughs> I think we might have done a podcast episode we on did this. We a podcast but... on three, okay. three or four, um, but I think we already have another episode with another three. Yeah. Um, one that's I, I found that I learned more about as we were researching some of these things was St. Anthony of Padua. And so, and not just, um, I mean, I pray with St. Anthony a lot. You lose uh, a lot I of lose things. things multiple <laughs> times a day. Uh, so it's not just to find lost money, uh, but he advocated for reform of lending laws in his day and age. And so when it comes to, uh, to being in debt and, you know, like he was essentially fighting predatory lenders uh, and so if someone is in, in distress, you know, in the in collections, they've got a lot of debt they're trying to figure out how to get out of, uh, he might be your guy because as even on here on, on earth, you know, he had a heart for folks in that situation and know that it's not time, uh, that, that we shouldn't be taking advantage of, uh, in situations like that. So St. Anthony is, uh, is a goodie that I don't think a lot of people think of when it comes to money. Yeah. And then Our Lady is another one. Um, I mean, she has so many different titles and I, I appreciate, I just, every time I learn about a new one, I just, I appreciate them so much. I love being able to go to under her under different titles and hearing the stories of how that came about. Um, but one of my favorites, I guess I'll have two. So there's um, Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And um, if you if you know about the image, I mean, it's her with with Jesus when he's he's little and he's in her arms and, you know, there's scary instruments of like the crucifixion and whatnot coming and she's kind of holding him um, and keeping him from that fear. And I just think with with money and and this image in particular is is known sometimes um, to have been a devotion that the faithful have gone to over financial distress or or. Um, in need. And so that is a devotion that we recommend people do, but then also Our Lady Endure of Knots, because some people can get into such a snarl um, with their money. Either it's just a tangled mess in their relationship, in their marriage. They don't know how to talk about it without nuclear explosions going off. <laughs> or maybe they literally just like, they don't know who they owe money to, but they know it's just all over the place. And it's constantly robbing Peter to pay Paul, or there's constant crisis after crisis. Um, so Our, La Our Lady Endure of Knots is is a huge go-to there. And then another one um, that we've just kind of in this last year, um, and I don't think this is in the podcast episode that we did, so well, this will be an extra, but St. Paul. Um, and the reason being is because there, you know, a, a scripture verse that's often quoted is, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Um, which I love that verse, but a lot of people do not understand that it's actually a verse about money. If you look at the context of where it lands in scripture, he's talking about, you know, I've been in need. I've, I've been in abundance. I have kind of like learned to adapt with whatever the Lord is giving me in that given moment. And then the last thing he says is I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Um, and so 
learning contentment with the chapter that you're in financially, because sometimes, you know, we, we meet people and I think this is partly the work of the enemy. Um, he always wants to make us discontent or to make us feel like we should be farther than farther along than we are, or that we screwed up so bad back here that it's unredeemable. It's just all hogwash. It's just not true. The second that we f- we we feel this call to begin bringing the the Lord into our finances, well, that's the moment to begin, and we're just going to begin again right now. And so I think um, Saint Paul is a good one to just you know to, when if you, when we have volatile seasons of of finances, he's just he's a good one to go to and to learn that true contentment, whether we are in a season of abundance or we are in a season of want learning how to kind of interiorly be a little more level and just, okay, Lord, this is where we are. You know, do not let the enemy steal our peace because our circumstances don't look the way we want them. And so he's one that we've been encouraging people to, to go to as well. That's really great. I was thinking about that passage as we were, as, as we were starting this, this podcast, but that fits right in again with doing God's, God's will, whatever, whether it is, not having and and being happy in that poverty, I guess, or having abundance and using it to do God's will, because that's the, that yeah, it's a lovely, it is a lovely passage. Yep. He can use either means. And I, I have to admit my, I still interiorly prefer him to have, give me a life of ease and abundance, but (laughs) (laughs) thank God he knows that I need other things to grow. Mm-hmm. And slowly by slowly, I'm starting to be more neutral in my preference. <laughs> well, I, I had heard about Catholic stewards in the past speaking about people who have have that great deal of money to give, and actually a comment being that they they recognized that they were so wealthy that they could do what they wanted to. Basically, I mean, whether it would be successful or not in the long term, of course, that's a different. That's a different matter, but um, they just, so they said they had to be very prayerful about where they invested because mm-hmm. it, they could just put their wills in it and say, "Hey, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. This is what God. This is what I want to do, whether God wants this right now or not." And with the with the lottery right now being over a billion dollars, we're, we're we're having a discussion in our house just about that amount of money because it seems like you know God could do it anyway but if he if he's like he could give some great person a billion dollars right now and they could do amazing things with it you know but that obviously hasn't been the way that god has operated in in recent history at least but it also takes away you know that's a different matter but it also takes away from the ability of other people to contribute to the goods that are being done but but yeah it's a it's an interesting thing. I was getting off topic here. Yeah, well, as as long as we're talking about the lottery, um, w- one interesting thing to note is lottery winners are more likely to declare bankruptcy after they win the lottery than before. So it makes you like five times more likely to go bankrupt mm-hmm. having a lot of money. <laughs> if, yes. Suddenly out of nowhere through mm-hmm. the lottery. Yes, and then, and then there's also just the, if you don't have, it's kind of like muscle, you know, if you don't have the character for that amount of money, it destroys you. It's like a baby getting given a barbell. <laughs> yeah. It will wreck them. Yes. <laughs> and so it would take an extraordinarily 
tiny population of people to actually win that and have it actually turn out well. That would be great if the Lord decided to do that. <laughs> but yes, he, he might not. Probably won't. <laughs> We always joke that we're willing to to see to be a test case yeah. to, you know, to, to see if that would work. But Give it a go. <laughs> we know better, as a matter of fact. But, but. <laughs> well, I have made it through several of your podcast episodes, but you have quite the catalog. I have not yet caught the the Saints episodes to which you're referring. If if you'd like to send me what those are, so I can link them in our show notes, I would be happy to include those, and I'll have to cue those up so I can I can hear them myself. But been there working my way through, I hadn't gotten to those. So that'd be good. Certainly. Okay. And speaking of St. Anthony of Padua and his relation to debt, do you have any thoughts you'd like to offer us as regarding students going to college and contemplating taking on debt in order to accomplish that? So we teach all high schoolers to have what we call the college conversation with their parents. And we teach parents, um, you know, that work work through our course to actually have this conversation with their teens. So whoever finds this conversation first needs to initiate it with the other party. And essentially, you know, there's all the questions in there about education and kind of what the hopes are, what the goals are, what the dreams are, and then of course what the finances are. And we are literally coming out of um, literally decades of graduating the next more most indebted class in human history. We're just kind of coming out of that, and it's a mess, and we're seeing all these um, punches getting thrown about student loans and who was culpable, and it's it's really a nightmare, and it really is crippling. We, You know, Jonathan and I are millennials, and we have watched, you know, this essentially cripple so many in our generation. They, they got out of college and had tens of thousands of dollars of student loans. And nowadays we're actually meeting graduates even from Catholic colleges with literally $150,000 in student wow. loan debt for a theology degree. And I'm just sitting here thinking, gosh, is this is this really just that we're doing this to that young generation? Um, and so we do encourage people to, to really sit down and to think about the finances. And you can break it up in a few different ways. You know, when you go to college, you you either have the money that you saved up, you know, through various means. Some people don't have that, but maybe parents have been saving all along. Um, but then you you as a student or your student could actually be working during their college years, and that's something to consider as well. But then a really under-leveraged component that I think is out there is um, scholarships. And we have met people that are kind of deep into this world of scholarships and they know how to continue. They treat winning scholarships as their part-time job while they're in college. And so instead of getting a, a 10 or a $15 an hour job at the, the coffee shop, their job is just 10 to 15 hours a week filling out scholarship applications all throughout college and they win enough scholarships to pay for all of college. Um, we've seen multiple stories of that. And so... Um, that is an underutilized resource for sure. So I think that between that and maybe knocking out some some credits with community college, et cetera, a lot of us could probably get our kids, or if we are college students, we could probably get an education without taking on copious amounts of debt. Now, at the end of the day, sometimes it's just going to be unavoidable. And maybe you are going to be in one of those professions where you really do need a degree. Um, and so 
can you sometimes utilize a student loan to, to get an education to, or in order to fulfill what it is that God's asking you to do in your life? Yes. It's not the absolute worst thing under the, under the sun. It can be leveraged, but we've gotten to the point where it's just gotten so out of control and people have signed up for way more than is even just for what they're going to earn afterwards, where it just stopped making sense to go six figures into debt, to get a mortgage, <laughs> you know, essentially um, to be able to earn earn a living, especially then as wages have kind of stagnated and et cetera. Um, so we do encourage people to avoid them if possible and to pull almost every lever that they have disposable for them uh, in order to avoid. And then if they cannot still make it happen, then very strategically, there might be some level of debt that, you know, is is planned on getting getting taken. But this is not a situation we recommend anybody go into where it's just one of those sign on the dotted lines and tell me the amount four years from now. <laughs> that is yeah. not been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and we don't want to ever have another generation like that. Yeah. Okay, so our show notes will contain links to well, the WalletWin website and the podcast episodes that came up in conversation and other things that relate to this conversation we've had today. And we appreciate so much all of you have offered to us in this conversation and in all of your offerings at WalletWin and the Catholic Money Show. Thanks so much for coming to visit with us today. Thanks for having us. And yeah, it was a, a great pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.